Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 103. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher at Acton-Boxborough Regional High School in Acton, Massachusetts. Uh, this is our panel discussion show where a group of biology teachers get together and we talk about what it's like to be a biology teacher in the times we're currently living in. Uh, I am joined today uh, by my hopefully regular panel as we go into the fall, um, and that starts with Ryan. Welcome, Ryan. Hello. Ryan, where are you joining us from? I'm joining from Southwest Missouri, um, about an hour away from Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Kansas. Uh, I teach in a very rural school district. Uh, we have a district of about 480 students. My 7 through 12 building has 230. And there I am the, the science teacher, so I teach all of the science subjects for the high school. Yeah, Ryan. Every time you describe where you teach, I realize how little I know about geography. Um, <laughs> I was like, "How could you be an hour away from all those places?" <laughs> uh, we're also joined by Tanea. Hi, my name is Tanea Hibbler, and I teach biology at Brophy College Preparatory in Phoenix, Arizona. And last but not least, we're joined by Lee. And I'm Lee Ferguson, and I teach at Allen High School, which is about 25 miles north of Dallas in Allen, Texas. And just as a side note, to contrast with Ryan's school, my school has over 5,000 kids, and I am one of 40 science teachers. Wow. <laughs> so, if you don't teachers at all. Yeah. 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 And, and, and if, if Lee drove for an hour, She'd still be in Texas. I'd still, no, actually, if I drove an hour south, I'd be in Dallas still. And if I drove an hour north, I'd be in Oklahoma. Oh, okay. I was wondering if you could drive an hour and be in another state. but or uh, you Yeah, can... actually, I can. Yeah. But, north, but southeast or west, I'm still in Texas. Yeah, you could drive for a, what? It's like, like almost five hours before you'd hit like some parts of your state. Let's see. If I drove five hours west, I'd still be in Texas. If I drove five hours south, I'd still be in Texas. Five hours east, I'd be in Louisiana. <laughs> five hours, and I'm in San Diego. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you'd be in a much cooler place than I would be if I drove five hours east. Yeah. <laughs> if, I drove, if I drove, if I drove five hours east, I'd be three and a half hours into the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> New England's very small. <laughs> yeah, I can't. You can't drive more than an hour and a half for me, and get and and still be. It'd be hard. I think if I drove out to the very tip of the Cape, I might be able to drive for like two and a half hours to get out to Provincetown from here. Um, that's yeah, assuming no. Assuming a funny, traffic. yeah, funny story. The other day, I was wa I was looking at um, Spencer Wells's, tw you know, um, mm. Twitter timeline, and he had posted something about gerrymandering in Texas, which is a really big, you know, concern here. And there was a congressional district that the gerrymandered shape of the district legit looked like the state of Massachusetts, <laughs> <laughs> and probably was about the same size. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah it really looked like Massachusetts. I was like, oh, hey, that's another state inside my state. <laughs> 
Well, the phrase gerrymandering does come from a member of, uh, it was a, an originally a Massachusetts politician who ah. is the person that it's named for. So um, there you go. Yeah. And we, we have some funky districts. Uh, the house districts in Massachusetts uh, are, are, have some funky shapes to them. Um, hmm. Especially as you get closer to Boston, you get closer to the population centers. But yeah, hmm. I believe the origins of gerrymandering come from originally a Massachusetts politician. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Well, this is going to be a part two of not politics talk or uh, <laughs> how long can I drive talk? Although <laughs> there are going to be days when uh, there are, honestly, there's going to be days where all of us are going to want to get in our car and we're going to just want to drive for five hours and yeah. see where we end up. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, we in part one sort of talked about the fact that our profession definitely is uh, gone under some flux and uh, you know, we're seeing teachers in our own buildings. Um, you know, I didn't even talk about the fact that in my school district, uh, the, you know, normally under normal circumstances, if you want to take a year of leave of absence or you want to retire, you have to make that announcement like it's either like February or March and then like all the paperwork. And they extended the deadline like four different times. And the mm. last deadline, I want to say, was like the second week of August. So like I was on a call with another teacher and it was like August 10th. And somebody was trying to decide if they, they were going to take a year or leave and they had wow. like till the next morning to decide. So like, oh, wow. and again, not somebody who is going to leave the profession permanently, but a person who had several children and was a caregiver of other people in their family and was trying to figure out the finances of, did it make sense to juggle all of the things? Would it be, make everybody's life easier if they just took a year leave and stayed home? And just was like the general contractor for their house, like managed all of the things that needed to go on at their home rather than work and try to do all of those things. So I know that, so, that that's a kind so can of... Can I ask a question just yeah. super quick about that? So if somebody takes a year of leave, yeah. does that mean that it's kind of like sabbatical where when they come back, they're guaranteed their job, they're guaranteed their position or no? Ooh, so yes and no. Uh, so, so yeah. So if you are somebody who has what we don't have tenure in Massachusetts, we have what's right. We don't have it here either. So. We have what is referred to as professional status, um, and okay. it's done by district. So if you've been granted professional status uh, by your district, um, mm -hmm. you have certain rights within there. And if they grant you a leave under reasonable uh, accommodations, and this, by the way, is a situation where our district and our has decided that this is a situation that is entirely reasonable, that if you have family or health or other concerns and you would like to take a leave, you can do it. And what it does is from a professional advancement standpoint, it's mm -hmm. they put like a pin. It's like this year doesn't exist in your career. Um, and so uh, yeah. it stops the clock on your retirement incentives, all of those other things there. And you are entitled to have a job back sort of within the appropriate purview of what you do. Now, okay. if you are a veteran teacher and you have, like myself, teach AP biology, you mm -hmm. are giving up that assignment. Oh, and I am not guaranteed if they find somebody and they come back in and they do that, you have given up that assignment. So you will have a job, but if you have, you know, built the but it may not be the one that you had when you left. Correct. Okay. Uh, I was just curious because, you know, this whole concept of getting to take a leave is very new to me because in Texas, you either resign, yeah. retire, or they fire you, you yeah. know, with, with cause, um, you know, and so, and, you know, teachers here, you either had to have, you know, a reason you, you either had to retire or you just chose to resign if you weren't planning on returning. 
you know, so we don't, we don't have this idea of, oh, I'm going to take a leave for this year and then come back. Yeah, we don't get that. (laughs) And I I was saying this before we, we started recording that I, I, I definitely live in, you know, a very (laughs) haves place to teach. Like I teach in a very good district. Um, I am not thrilled with everything that's going on in my district. The vast majority of the things that I'm not happy with have very little to do with the things my district is doing. I think they're actually doing a pretty good job and they're trying to do right by teachers. Right. Um, they, like, well, I genuinely think as much as I disagree with them and I'm I'm like, yeah, that email is not going to age well. Um, I say that because <laughs> I understand epidemiology and virology and mm-hmm. like. Um, like I was, I was told once or twice in March to stop yelling at my emails, um, by my wife, because <laughs> they would, they would just make scientific, like offhanded comments. And in Massachusetts has been doing this about they, in their original draft plans, they had things that there was very little evidence about students being able, you know, t- students or kids being able to transmit the virus. And I was like, well, if you don't do any studies, then that's the case. I was like, these are not going to age well. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so like, like they're making, they're carrying some party lines for from the state but by and large they're doing things right very well so they actually gave us three options one we do what we do which is come back in whatever form they that we have and they were going to do the best they can for us to accommodate us and provide pp and do all that you could uh, apply to do what is called a remote learning academy so we are of a district of size to the point where um, and they bandied this about in a few different ways, but there are teachers, there's enough teachers in our district and enough students in our district. I think the number ended up washing out to be about a quarter of our students have chose to do what is called, being called the remote learning plan. Now, if kids pick that, they were picking it for the year. Mm, okay. And so they then offered to staff, if you wanted to be the remote learning teacher that is closely related to your assignment, you could apply to do that. And mm-hmm. they, they were able to accommodate every teacher who wanted to go fully remote for the year was able to do that. Wow. Yeah, my husband's school did that, or that his district did that as well. So there's yeah. kids that are going to be um, virtual the whole year. Yeah. And then... Yeah, and I don't know how many people in my district are remote for the entire year, but even then if you're remote in my district, you're teaching from a campus facility. Yeah. You know, a facility. You're not truly remote, you know, so. Our, and our district has, our district has definitely, and I've read a lot of those things. Our district is definitely like our first five days back of professional development, which we're getting a ton of all five of those are being done from home. They are not making wow. us come into the building. They yeah. have, they Lucky. have, we didn't get the, we didn't get that choice. <laughs> well, and I think it's a combination of, I do genuinely believe, um, like I, again, I don't agree with everything that's being done, but I do think that their hearts are in the right place and they're listening and there's good dialogue. And I'm sure what happened is they said, yeah, we're going to have everyone come back and do it here. And somebody said, why? And they were like, uh, okay. Yeah, you're right. Stay home. <laughs> so, uh, so can I, can I ask another question? Yeah. How much input did teachers have into designing the plan that your district designed for return to work. So uh, we have, I would say that the, the, there were teachers, some teachers involved and we do have a union. Um, Mm -hmm. There's no such thing as a strong teaching union. Um, But when it comes to in the relative, like the relative continuum of strong teachers unions, our Mm -hmm. teachers unions were very vocal and given seats at the table during those discussions. Gotcha. So, so that like, as I said, I, I don't want to sit here and say I'm thrilled with everything that we're doing, but I definitely think that um, 
the 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 decision makers did not decide things. This was not ivory tower decision making. It was death by a thousand committees decision making. Um, <laughs> but but uh, but the but it was death by a thousand committees. And as I said, I've mm-hmm. I've been on I've been on one that's a technology based one. And you know it's it's means I've been on Zoom calls every couple of weeks and I get in and I'm in district leadership and plugging away hardworking people all trying to accomplish the same general goal of trying to educate our community and serve our students as best I can, you know, as best we all can. Uh, But this is a mess and it's not, nothing's going to be perfect and everything's going to suck. But I think there is a genuine desire to not be contentious. Um, and that is uh, that is very much the spirit of my district. My district does not have a history of contentious back and forth between like I, I've worked in districts where it's like the superintendent says this and the principal says this and there's this battle of politics and hierarchy. And the district I teach in just historically hasn't been like that. Um, it has had a community feel in terms of decision making. Um, I, I yeah. think the districts that started planning early, like when they knew, oh, we're in a pandemic, let's start planning for the fall. Those mm-hmm. districts um, seem to have everything together more. Mm-hmm. The ones who just started making decisions, whatever the decisions, you're not going to make everybody happy. Yeah. So, but the districts who made decisions, they seem like they're doing much better than the ones who kept putting everything off. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, and and unfortunately, here in Texas, we were our our school districts. Period. You know, collectively, rather, were hamstrung by our state education agency. Mm-hmm. You know, because the state didn't decide, oh, well, this is what we're going to let you do until late June, early July. And then once they decided, every week it seemed that they were cha- they would change something. You know, the, the commissioner would meet with the governor and then the two of them would knock heads together and try to figure out, okay, how can we rock the boat this week is what it felt like anyway. And, and so, you know, when I, I had a discussion with my principal about this, you know, and he you could just tell he was, you know, frustrated about the the lack of leadership at the state level, you know, because it made it very difficult for them at the at the campus level and at the district level to put together, you know, a comprehensive plan that would have better served everyone. And and I think this is probably something that was true for a lot of school districts, not just ours, but you know, because quite frankly, our our district's plan could have been better, but they were working off of the information that was provided to them by the state at the time. And so, you know, I had actually shared something with my principal that I found from another school system up in Missouri, actually, that was the, the schedule was just like the most beautiful thing I had ever seen because it was four days of kids learning. And then on the fifth day, it was teachers doing professional development and planning and conferencing with students all day long. That's all it was. And my principal said, you know, this kind of looks like something that we wanted to do, but that the state told us we couldn't do, Mm. you know? And so, you know, the, the people who are making the decisions about what goes on at the campus level clearly don't have an idea of how this, it works. You know, they, they, they really don't know, you know, what is best for teachers and for students, you know, because the, the system that we have now, it's, it's not working. I mean, I can tell you after a week and a half of instruction, you know, I would love the ability to meet with my team, you know, more than an hour a week, you know, because my, we, we have PLCs and we are scheduled to meet twice a week for 30 minutes. And it's hard for us to get done what we need to get done in this climate yeah. In an hour, right? Mm-hmm. Because everything takes so much longer to plan. We have to be 
even more intentional than we were before. And, you know, we're, we're, we're basically field testing everything every day. And that's hard. Yeah. You know, that that's really, really difficult to, to test and, and, and get feedback from kids on and all of this. And, and it's just, you know, it, it's created a, a situation that I think will lead us to burnout, you know, yeah. but, you know, in saying that, you know, we're also trying a lot of new things that we wouldn't have tried before, you know, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is a natural place to talk, you know, as we go into this episode, uh, I wanted to give us all sort of an opportunity um, <laughs> to to both talk about like what we're afraid of about this upcoming year. Cause we, again, we're recording this, even though it's going to come out in, you know, mid to late September, we're recording this, um, in in August, and I, I was I was a little uh, afraid about doing this now because I was thinking back to like how every week has felt like nine um, or, <laughs> or nine hundred, uh, and I'm like, we're recording this, and I like I haven't had my students yet, and all these plans, and they're like, there's a good chance that like this second episode is going to come out, and some of the fears that we've had will have come true, some of them will yeah. be resolved, we may all be in distance learning already, like there's so much that's going to change in the next, you know, uh, five weeks between when, when we record this and when, when this comes out. So, uh, this is, this is, uh, possibly one of the most foolish exercises, but, uh, to put a little time stamp on it about our fears and what we're excited about, uh, I did think it was a good time to like say, like, I, I would, you know, let's, let's put it out there. What, what are we afraid about going into this year? And then also what we're excited about. So I know what you guys are all excited about uh, and some of you guys fear, but I'm curious, Ryan, you know, you've, you've talked about sort of being the ambassador of science <laughs> to your community. Uh, and, and they're like, what, what do you, do you have any like fears that you've thought about as we walk into this, this new year? Honestly, my biggest fear is the inequity that exists with our internet access being so rural, uh, not just um, not not just economic, but also geographic. Um, our our students, uh, well, I guess first of all, we're about eighty to ninety percent free and reduced lunch, so there is quite a bit um, of economic inequity. Uh, many of our students cannot afford internet, and that includes having a Internet access, internet access through a cell phone at home. We're not just talking about uh, having a device. Um, we're also in an area where they, my kids may just live in a valley surrounded by rocks and they, they literally cannot get cell phone service, let alone um, internet access. So even if we provided them with a hotspot, it will do them no good. And so the the solution, quote unquote, has been to um, give every kid a device and to kind of broaden our um, our Wi-Fi to extend into the entire parking lot. So that means we'll have kids who are going to have to come to our parking lot in order to um, to access the Internet. So for me, my, my biggest fear is I don't I don't know how I'm supposed to deliver equitably the information to all of my students um, w without it un unfairly um, kind of, I want to say holding it against my lower income students, but they just won't have the same amount of access. I, I don't know how to equalize that access for my lower income students. Or Ryan, go ahead. 
can you can you give like some students like a digital like a printed out um stuff and and then maybe give them like a website where they can access like an audio file of of discussions that happened that were live like is your school helping to support those types of things i mean as 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 much as we can we did get a technology grant and we were able to get to finally get enough devices so that each student could have a device but that is brand new this year we're kind of feeling through things right now so ideally yes if if we close um some of my kids would not be able to participate in anything online unless they come to school so i'm going to have to send them something uh paper pencil or something that they can do that doesn't necessarily require the lms um but again how i make that equal for the kids who can access it at home i I'm I'm at a loss. So if, if there's a satellite company out there listening, um, <laughs> we have a community here in need. And I'm sure, yeah, I'm saying it's not going to be the only one. I mean, and that's right. the thing is that the the one thing that I think this pandemic has done in in a really ugly way is just laying bare like the sheer inequity that exists of you know across all kinds of you know sectors for society. I mean, and primarily in education, you know, cause when this, when this all started going down in the spring, I, I thought, I actually thought about you, Ryan, especially once college board was like, we're going to have the AP exams online. And I'm like, Whoa, <laughs> how is this going to work for everybody? You know, because not everybody has access to the internet. Not everybody has a device, you know, how is this truly going to be a fair and equitable, you know, experience for everyone? And, and, you know, the, the problem is, is that I don't think any kind of experience that we're, and that any of us is going to be able to provide is going to be truly equitable, you know? Right. And so I just, and, and I don't know that there's an easy solution. I mean, one thing that could be done potentially is make the internet a public utility, make it sure. something like the power company or the water companies, you know, or the gas companies. I mean, if, if it's something that is now so essential for all of us to have access to, it should be a public utility, not something that only the privileged can pay for, you know, it should be something that's widely available, you right. know? And so I just, I don't know. I mean, and that's something I think that we should probably be writing our Congress people about and saying, hey, you know, can you think about pushing legislation that makes this a public utility, you know? I mean, perhaps what we're dealing with in schools now can help um, kind of spark that since everyone exactly. is touting online learning as being the solution, but people exactly. forget that everyone has online. Well, and, and, and even a lot of, you know, corporations having people work from home, not everybody work, you know, who works in an office or works for a company lives in a place that has access to the internet. In fact, I was reading an article today from the New York Times about how the office is going to change and how one of the parts of the article was about um, people buying real estate in more rural locations, you know, because they wanted to, to, you know, now that their work environment has changed, they were just like, you know what, we don't have to live in the city anymore. Because if we're working from home all the time, I can live wherever I want to. And mm -hmm. you know, that assumes that that rural place that they're living has a has internet access, you know, but I mean, for 
and and that's a choice that those people have, right? There are some people for whom their that rural location, this is their family's land where they've lived forever and ever. You know, right. there is there is no choice for them to go somewhere else. You know, and they need access right. to that. They need access to the internet just as much as the person who is choosing to live somewhere like that does. You know, so make it a public utility. Write your Congress people, people. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know? this is something I think that really could drive that. And, you know, I was mentioning before that, you know, where I currently live, I, I live the district where my kids go to school, the town, one town north of me, like they just started getting wired in internet into oh, that wow. town in, in the last, like, I think it was like two years ago, three years ago oh, wow. was when they started getting wired in because it is a, it's a big wooded, like mm. expanse. It's landwise. It's this huge town, but there's not that many people who live there. And mm -hmm. because right. the internet is like, like phone companies or internet companies, they didn't have cable. Like if you, the only way you had internet at your house is if you uh, had like a satellite and, right. you know, like mm -hmm. literally yeah. that was the only way people had it. So the, the vast majority of people didn't have cable and did not have wired internet. They only had it through their phone. Um, and, wow. and I know that if, and I was at a uh, workshop last summer with somebody who lives a couple of towns Northwest of, of that town. And they don't have hardwired internet in to a lot. They are just, they were just getting cable there that like, it's, you know, and I live in, you know, Massachusetts, like you don't think of Massachusetts as having towns where internet access is not ubiquitous. But the fact is, is that once you get outside of really 495, which is the loop that Boston is, is inside, like the every, every 10 miles you go, you are more rural than you were before. It's deeper into the woods and, uh, you know, upstate New York and Southern Vermont and New Hampshire mm -hmm. and Western Massachusetts are pretty, you know, uh, pretty remote locations um lots of trees uh <laughs> lots of ticks lots of deer um <laughs> not a, not a ton of internet <laughs> oh, man. and, and so. here and here i live i i don't know why i did this but i moved outside of maricopa county so mm -hmm. i live in the city of maricopa so I, it takes me like an hour to drive into the if, if central Phoenix to go to work, but I have internet. Like I'm at home right now in my closet. Um, but the, uh, the um, internet is just hasn't been great. We and we we had to call the internet company and say, hey, can you? Is there any way we can get like some? Is it? Have you improved it? Can we get better internet? Mm. And we had the we just had a guy like a couple weeks come in, and so it's it's had a bit better. But like, I'm like, well, how come my internet isn't as good as the internet that Starbucks has? I'm really pissed because yeah. like normally I go sit in Starbucks because Starbucks has great internet, but I can't sit in Starbucks right now because they won't let you sit in there. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I, as I said, I, I said in the last episode, Lee, you had, you know, I, I this this week has been a, like a roller coaster for me as you've been starting to go back. And I think, you know, fears you've been, you've been a very open book, not that you're you know, all that shy and no. <laughs> uh, not at all. in general, not but at all. yeah, you're, you know, and you know, you, you, I think post on the internet, internet, as much as I read on the internet. Um, <laughs> Cause like right now it's just like, what do I read? I read what, what bike that Ryan is rebuilding, uh, Ryan, <laughs> Ryan Reardon and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and how, what, what kind of dumpster fire is Lee dealing with at school? <laughs> <laughs> Like the, oh man! So, well, so I mean, what are your fears as we go into this? I mean, it's yeah. not as bad as it could be, but we haven't had kids on campus yet, right? Yeah. And so, 
you know, we're, we're getting ready to have students on campus a week from this coming Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we've already had faculty, as I mentioned before, we've already had faculty members who have tested positive and who've had to quarantine and anybody who's been in contact with them has had to quarantine. And so I'm just, I'm just kind of waiting for, you know, for it to hit my hallway, hmm. you know, for, for, for people in my hallway to, to, to have to quarantine or to test positive. Because when I wander the hallways, I, you know, which is very rare, but when I do get out of my room, I see people, you know, halfway wearing masks. I, I've seen people not wearing them at all. <laughs> I mean, and, and just not taking very seriously this idea that we are here to help protect one another. Right. And so what I really hate about all of this is that my safety is contingent upon other people's behavior and 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 their choices about whether or not they are going to do what has been asked of them and what has been mandated by the state. You know, and in, in the state of Texas, you know, you know, a face covering of some kind is is the mandate, although I believe it's really just a mask that is the mandate, although our district was told, oh, but a face shield is fine. Um you know, so I'm I'm worried about that. I'm worried about, you know, once students do return, you know, which one of these kids is going to make me sick? You know, which one of these kids is going to bring this virus into my classroom? You know, but I'm also worried about not being able to be the very best teacher that I know how to be because I have all of this fear, you know, about, okay, you know, I'm trying to stay safe. I'm trying to, you know, you know, make sure that the education that I provide for these kids is what they deserve, you know, and what they, what they signed up for. And I worry about my team. I have a team of three other teachers that I work with because we have a huge enrollment in AP bio at my campus. Mm -hmm. And so I worry about all of us burning out. You know, one of the things I told them at the, at the end of last year was we're going to plan for full remote instruction regardless of what happens, because it's easier for us to pivot from that to being in person than it is the other way around. And I said, it's, it's probably best for us to do this, you know, and to plan for this. Um, and what we're finding now is that while yes, it's, you know, planning virtual learning is, is going to be our default, that it is incredibly difficult. I mean, it was, it was not something that we had anticipated being as hard as it has been, you know, because everything takes so much longer to plan. It takes so much longer to convert something that you would have done normally through, you know, say manipulatives mm -hmm. or <laughs> you know, something with that involves shared supplies that we can now no longer use, you know, so like all of our 3D molecular modeling kits, can't use those. And so we're having to film demos and, you know, just do so much more work to, to bring the same kind of quality that we would if we could actually use those things with students. And so it's, it's definitely, you know, been, it's not been easy. And, you know, the other thing too, is that, you know, it's not so much a fear as it is something that makes me kind of angry and sad is that, you know, I absolutely love what I do, you know, and, you know, I really absolutely love what I do. I mean, it's something that I've always enjoyed doing, you know, for the most part for the last 24 years. And it's something that brings me like tremendous joy, right? Like when I finally got to teach content last week, I was just like, oh, I feel so good now because this is the first time I've actually taught something and kids understood it in 
almost six months. <laughs> and so it, it, it just sort of filled that empty, like an empty space that I had had for the last six months, yeah. you know, but for, for my, my environment where I'm doing this to now have become a place that I am afraid to go to every day makes me angry and sad, mm. you know? And so it just, it's, it's so hard to have good morale when that's the overriding thought every day when you're at work, when you're physically required to be there, you know, and, and it's just, again, everything that's causing this is because of somebody else's decision, you know, somebody else is deciding what is best for me and for my profession, who, you know, by people who have likely never done my job. (laughs) So, I mean, if I could retire, I would, if I could afford to retire right now, I would, but I'm too sure. I'm, I'm just a few years shy of retirement. I'm five years away from being able to retire, you know? Mm. And I, and I honestly believe that my, at the first opportunity when I can retire, I will, if, if I make it through this year, okay, without getting sick, and, and can stay healthy for the next few years, then I will retire when, at first opportunity because I'm, just, I'm, I'm tired of, you know, the, and really it's the, the adults, not just the adults <laughs> in the district, but the adults who seem to think they know how to do the job of educators. I am tired of the adults. It is not the children. It is the adults. I am tired of legislators telling me how to do my job. I am tired of, you know, politicians telling me how to do my job. I'm tired of the general public telling me how to do my job, especially those who don't know how to do my job, mm-hmm. you know, and, I, and I'm tired of being disrespected. You know, I'm tired of my profession being disrespected, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's enough to break somebody. You know, I posted a meme the other day. It was Rocky four, yeah. right? I think it's Rocky four with Ivan Drago and Rocky facing one another. And he tells him, I will break you. And I'm like, that's so accurate. Like Rocky is 2020 and Ivan Drago or no, Ivan Drago is saying, I will break you. Yeah. And that's 2020 right there in a nutshell. <laughs> you know? and, and I was like, this is so accurate. It's so spot on. Cause this is how I feel right now. But- you know? Like Lee, I've I've heard other colleagues talking about that. Like, well, this summer I went through all my insurance policies and I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, like I know I'm 44, but you know, um, I'm 44. I have the sickle cell trait. I don't even know there's any research being done on if that could could affect you or not. Mm -hmm. Um, I have no idea what could happen if I get COVID-19. I really don't want to find out. I can't afford to quit my job. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to work. I like my job and I'm going to do the best that I can. But like, if I had, like, if I, if I had won the lottery, I would take the year off for sure. Oh yeah. Years off. Definitely. Um, oh, yeah. There's a lot of teachers who are, who are going to go to work because they, they love what they do and they, they want to do it well and they care about the kids, but it's like the whole, with the whole sh- school shootings, I'm expected mm-hmm. to stand in front of a bullet. If you know, mm-hmm. a gunman comes in and protect all the kids, I'm expected to, be exposed to COVID-19 and be okay with that. I'm expected to deal with the racism, institutional racism that, that basically, you know, is, uh, our society is just, um, mm-hmm. our society is swimming in institutional racism. And it's yep. like, I, I just keep thinking like, and then I work at an all boys school. So there's, it's not like I don't exist outside of sexism either. Or it's private school. So there's classism. I could just go through all the isms, but so like, <laughs> I, I just feel like all teacher all teachers right now, no matter who you are, mm-hmm. they're kind of they're thinking like their life is flashing in front of them. Oh it's yeah, like, you yeah. know, if I die, I mean, is yeah. it worth it? I mean, I you know, I I 
you know, when I heard my friends talking, my other teacher friends talking about getting attorneys to to draft wills or, hey, should I go online and do legal Zoom, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, first of all, don't do the legal Zoom thing. Actually get an attorney. Uh, second, I was like, I'm so glad that my husband and I already had all these things in place. You know, we we drafted wills several years ago. Both of us had major surgery and we actually had to have advanced directives before we were allowed to have our surgeries. And, and so we, at the time, you know, I was just like, if I'm going to have an advanced directive, I might as well have a will drafted. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. you know, we were, we were lucky that we already had those documents in place, but, you know, more recently he and I've talked about increasing our life insurance, you know, just to make sure that in the event of the untimely death of one of us, that the other person is taken care of. You know, and I shouldn't have to think about that, you know, when I'm going back to school, that shouldn't be part of back to school prep for anybody, mm-hmm. you know, but, but here we are, you know, here we are, this is the, this is the situation that we've all been put in and it's, it just, it, there's so much wrong with it. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, and, and the sad thing is, is a lot of it doesn't have to happen. You know, we, we work in a profession that for the most part we can do from home. Yeah. We can. Well, you know, the, most- thing, the thing that Lee you, and you, when I remember seeing the pictures of your classroom and, and I've been, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a few weeks away and I've been trying to envision my classroom. The other thing that has been circling around in my head are two things about the other side of it. I am, mm-hmm. I say to the, I say that I claim to be a student centered teacher, that, mm-hmm. that the student experience is the number one thing that drives me. And right now the directives are the students need to sit in rows Students need to always be facing the same direction. Yeah. And by the way, students, the globe is on fire. Your cortisol levels are through the roof and you uh-huh. better get ready to learn. And everything we know about stress and learning is that mm-hmm. as stress goes up, learning goes down. It goes down. Yep. That mm-hmm. if if we are truly in a situation where, and all we have to do is, I mean, just think about the adverse, you know, uh, childhood experiences, those aces mm-hmm. that that that, yep. that already come in, the already hidden aces that exist, and that every mm-hmm. single trauma event that has added to a kid is going to yep. have a greater impact on their learning. And if on average, like two thirds of our students have at least one or two aces in there. A global pandemic's got to be an ace. I don't know. I've never oh, seen yeah. it on a list. <laughs> but, <laughs> how could it not be? <laughs> how is a global pandemic not, a, you know, one of these these trauma events that, right. that is going to impact learning? Well, I mean, think about it like this. You have two populations who've been impacted by this trauma, you know, mm-hmm. this traumatic event. You have a population of adults, the mm-hmm. teachers and the administrators and the population of children. And so not only are you dealing with, you know, the, the ACEs that the children have, now you're bringing in adults who have had these traumatic events who may not have, who may or may not have appropriate coping skills to deal with them. Right. I mean, because let's face it, some people do handle trauma better than others, Mm -hmm. but Everybody has an adverse effect. You know, everybody suffers these adverse effects, whether they are large or small. And and so what is, you know, how is that going to impact how much students are able to learn, but also how much teachers are going to be able to teach, yeah. you know, because it's going to impact how much learning they're going to be able to do to be able to deliver instruction that is quality, right? You know, because you're talking about how your school is providing you with all this different professional development. Well, not everybody got that. 
you know, not everybody got got good training about here's how you design online learning so that it's effective. Here's how you handle, you know, students. Here's how you design a, a, what is it, trauma-informed classroom. You know, here's how you, you know, design culturally, culturally, um, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Responsive. Culturally responsive teaching. You know, not everybody got that. Yeah. And, and so how, <laughs> but, how do we do all these things yeah. and try to manage our own stress and manage students stress? Yeah. And, and my school is a shining city on the hill that had two additional optional days of professional development in the summer that the district covered and then five additional days. So like at most, these teachers are getting like seven days of direct instruction to help deal with <laughs> technology issues you know, helping to close the digital divide component, how to teach online and hybrid, how to deal with social emotional learning and hybrid, how to deal with equity, um, along with book groups and stuff like that. We are shining city on the hill and it's like, hey, here's a week and a half to figure this whole thing out. Here's mm-hmm. your hundred plus students. Let's roll. Like, like, <laughs> like, like that's like, and I know you're right. I, again, major, I, I have, I have a huge advantage that I'm getting that. And I say to my wife all the time, like, we're the good one. Like we, I, I teach it one of the best in the country in terms of providing these resources. And so few people are getting even this level. And I think what we're getting is inadequate. Um, like it's just not enough. It's not. I, I, t- I taught a, a workshop over the summer and um, to biology teachers and the teachers um, were really, really nervous about what was going to happen in their districts in the fall. There's mm-hmm. a lot of, um, and this, you know, the first time you meet people online, you're teaching a class, they don't really know what they're going to, what they're getting into until like they kind of get into the course. It, it took them really like, it was maybe the, the second week where they're like, oh my gosh, this is like, I really needed this. Like, this is going to make a difference for what I'm doing. And then by the end, uh, like at the very last day, after three weeks of being online for four and a half hours a day, they had they did presentations and they kind of came up with some like ways where they were going to implement um, either like a unit or a lesson that we you know on online um, and that was that was their first time like processing it like on their own like how are they going to do it like what's it going to look like for them in their district at their school with their kids you know not the way that I necessarily taught it and. And, and and still after that, people were like, oh, I have so much more information, still a process, because now I got to try to pull everything together. And and I keep thinking, like, a lot of the teachers were like, everyone in my department needs this, but they don't have it. Like, no one else is going to mm. have this to start the year off. And I have it, and I still feel, like, overwhelmed. So I don't I don't know... I don't, I don't know what teachers are doing, but, like, if, if I hadn't have taught summer school and I hadn't have been like planning and teaching online and doing distance learning courses, I wouldn't be prepared. And I'm only, like I said, I'm only prepared because I've done all that stuff and still I'm getting overwhelmed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, it, it's just, it's just hard. Yeah. I, all right. Well, I think we could, I think we, I think we got fears covered. Because um, <laughs> <Okay. laughs> I could, I could go on and on and on, and I, I very much, uh, I, I have sort of like, I think my coping strategy has been to like de- control. I'm a big control the controllables person, and so like, I'm actually really pretty. I pretty much have on on track. I've been working with my colleague, who I have one colleague. We have four sections of AP Biology, and I really actually feel pretty ready for AP Biology this year. 
Like I, I'm, I'm like on mm-hmm. it. Uh, like I'm like 80% ready for it. I haven't finished it, but I get like a direction. I'm ready there. I have no idea what the other half of my teaching load, which is honors biology. I don't know what that's going to look like. I genuinely don't know what that's going to look mm-hmm. like. And, and I've been ignoring that. So um, I think that we'll, as a collective are going to, and I'm also worried about not taking enough time to do community building. Cause I feel like every day I plan for community building, I probably need five more than I think I need um, because of the nature of the digital load and, and all of that stuff. So mm-hmm. um, it's another thing I'm worried about. Um, but yeah, uh, I think I'm going to try to get us to uh, a place of, of positivity. So uh, you could be excited about this or you could just be like marginal looking forward to this. Um, and, and, and we could talk about this as being like, you know, a lot of times you can look at things as when things go colossally wrong. And in science, this is 100% true. When things go colossally wrong and your experiment blows up and you get nothing out of it, like you run an experiment and the data is a total disaster and it doesn't look any there, you have a great opportunity to learn. So we have a great opportunity here. And so I know we all, because this is kind of, you know, we're going to find that silver lining. We all have things that we're looking forward to. Ryan, what are you looking forward to or marginally excited about as we head into this upcoming school year? Um, quite a few things, actually. And I think I'm, for the first time, more excited about my non-AP courses than my AP this year. Um, we're offering an advanced chemistry class for the first time. I haven't taken this subject in 20 years, so I'm kind of looking forward to relearning it all and being excited about the content with my students. Um, I was able to participate in some storylining workshops, and I'm excited to try and implement that with my general biology classes. Uh, One class that I'm really excited about is my public health class as... (laughs) the current climate being, you know, all real world relevant right now. Um, oh, timely. And, <laughs> right. And my, my favorite thing about the class is that it is not meant to be an, an exclusive um, prerequisite driven. Um, these are for the best students class. This is a class for everyone. And so I have students in this class that are college bound but I also have students in this class who are going to work right out of high school. And so the um, onus is on me to present public health issues, relevant issues um, in a way that everyone can understands it, can understand it. And the, the best part of it is that uh, it is in conjunction with our county health department. So everything is very project-based and the kids are working on projects that will actually go directly to the county health department to help them um, do, accomplish whatever they need to accomplish. So I, I can't get the when am I ever going to use this excuse because <laughs> right. literally the things they are doing are for their county health department. It, it is completely applicable to them. So I am I, I am excited to get all of that implemented, uh, going back to the fear. I don't know how I'm necessarily going to do it, but all of this, I mean, it, it, it is exciting. I think the scientist in all of us is excited about trying something new. Yeah. Yeah. It, and, you know, I was, I was thinking about that. You could have these kids design 
uh, a plan for you know the next pandemic uh, <laughs> because <laughs> yeah there's there's an expression that epidemiologists like to use that you know when we're done with this pandemic we will have learned and be prepared for this pandemic um, and like you know some of the epidemiologists that I've been listening to have been talking about how th- we were really really well prepared for a pandemic version of AIDS like if AIDS two came back if another version of a bloodborne sexually transmitted disease we could have put all of the things in place really fast but Mm. we weren't prepared for a respiratory global virus in the globally connected community that we're in and so if we're by when we're done this we're going to be super ready for a respiratory transmitted respiratory targeted virus but if it's something else we're not going to be ready for that um and so there's a lot of interesting stuff about public health and and universal precautions that could have been in place that we just we failed to see and think about um mm-hmm. yeah. so yeah it's, I, I i would love i'd love to take that class <laughs> i would be the most annoying i'd be the most annoying student ever <laughs> it'd be amazing all right uh lee uh we've talked about all of the things that are making it hard for you to get up in the morning but there are (laughs) things that you were excited about getting up for and going to work what are you excited about so i guess the good thing about all of this is that you know um because i've already had you know interactions with students you know the kids i'm working with are really great um i'm trying a lot of new things that i don't think i would have tried otherwise so it's kind of like forced my hand at shaking the way, shaking things up a bit for me, you know, because when you teach for as long as I have, you know, you do kind of become a little bit set in your ways about how you do certain things, you know. So, for example, one of the things that I, I used to do with my IB students is that we would do an interactive notebook. Well, <laughs> you can't really do that when you don't have kids in front of you and you're really not supposed to make paper copies of anything. So I... um. I started having them keep a digital version of it and they really like it. I was so surprised that they actually really liked it. And I was like, okay, you know, and I had a couple of my kids give me feedback about it and they're like, oh yeah, because we can do this and we can do that and we can pull this and we can pull that. And I'm like, well, maybe I need to do this in my AP classes too. And the only reason I didn't do it with AP is because again, I've got three other teachers that I have to get on board with, you know, Mm -hmm. with me to try brand new things. Um, and so I did, I, I am excited about getting to do new things. Um, I also am really excited that as a team, my AP group has decided to go to a hundred percent summative grading. Mm. So, yeah. So, so we've basically said to the kids, look, quizzes are used for diagnostic purposes, right? We want you to use this information to help you figure out where you still need help learning. You know, we don't want you to chase a grade. We want you to chase the learning. That's more important. Um, And so, you know, everything you do that we want to grade is going to be summative, right? So for us, things like lab reports are summative. Exams obviously fall into that. And so I'm actually... I'm actually taking up my first um, lab report tomorrow, our first claim evidence reasoning report. And kids are, you know, I told my kids last week, hey, if you want me to give you feedback, you know, just send me the shareable link and I'll read through your work and I'll send you some feedback. And so what I was doing before we started recording was I was making little screencasts using Loom Mm -hmm. and walking the kids through, here's what you did that was great. Here's what you need to fix here's, you know, the feedback about this. And so I got an email from one of my students. She's like, thank you so much for that. It was so helpful. And I said, okay, I need a question. I I have some, I have some questions for you. I said, did you like it better than if I had written it? 
And what did you like, you know, and, and what did you like about it? And she's like, oh yeah, the video is so much better. <laughs> and, and I said, okay, good. You know, I'm glad that that worked for you. I said, because this is something I'm thinking about doing permanently from now on. So I am excited to get to use new tools that I, you know, didn't know about until everything was remote. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there, there are still some things to get excited about, you know, and, and I'm one of those that if I see a brand new shiny toy, I'm going to be one of the first ones to grab it and start playing with it. You know, I'm not going to follow directions. I'm just going to play and see how it shakes out. How is it going to work? You know? And, you know, I like to think I'm an early adopter of a lot of technology and stuff like that, because people on my campus come to me hmm. when they have questions about things like that. It's like, well, how would you do this? You know, how would you do that? Like Flipgrid? I taught my campus about Flipgrid, you know, because I'd been using it for the last three years. And they're like, what? What is this Flipgrid thing? And I'm like, oh, it's only one of the most amazing things ever. <laughs> and it plays nicely with Canvas. And so, you know, I'm, I'm excited about, you know, using some of these tools also in ways that I had not used them before for, you know, so, you know, and I think part of it too, though, is, you know, using all these nice new shiny tools keeps me interested in what I'm doing, you know, because there have been times in the past, admittedly, when I'm just like, okay, you know, I'm just kind of going through the motions and I'm phoning it in and this is terrible because it's not right for the kids. But this year I don't have that excuse. You know, I, I've, I've got all these nice new things that I can play with and that, you know, the kids can learn from, like we're getting, uh, we got access to pivot interactives. You know, because we're not doing wet labs. There's just no way for us to do them safely. And I'm actually really excited about getting to use Pivot with our students, you know, because I had actually met with the guys who run Pivot over the summer and they spoke at my APSI. And it is amazing. So I'm I'm really looking forward to being able to to integrate those resources into, you know, what I teach. Although just FYI, if y'all haven't taught props of water yet. They now have a properties of water pivot if you want to use it. Mm. <laughs> yes, and a cell size and diffusion pivot interactive. So it's like, ha ha, <laughs> this is going to be perfect for us, you know? So, so those are just some things I'm excited about. De definitely on my list. All right, Tanea. Yeah. What are you looking? You're going to have some great ones. <laughs> uh, you, well, you, don't get to, you don't get to quit. So what are you not doing? <laughs> I, I'm excited about all the technology stuff. Um, yeah. I'm excited about the bio group that's getting together. We, uh, I'm also going to be using Pivot for AP Bio, yep. um, but we also want to. There's a group of bio teachers that's going to get together and record things that aren't on Pivot, maybe that are for like lower level students or things that um, AP labs that we don't see on there yet. And so a lot of teachers maybe don't have access to Pivot, mm -hmm. and so we just want to share things with, um, make it available like to like the biology community. So there's some of us who are recording like um labs and i'm i'm really excited that i have someone to collaborate with because i'm the only <laughs> ap bio teacher at my school um and collaborations keep me uh sane but this year the uh, i'm the only i'm only black woman who works at a, a predominantly white institution and i've had a lot of um challenges in that position i'm also i also work at a, a jesuit catholic school my school, my school is a great institution, right? Um, but I'm, I'm a non-Catholic person too. So my perspective often is just outside of other people's perspectives or my experiences sometimes are out of other people's experiences. And when I, uh, sometimes I express myself and I try to um, share with people what my experiences have been. And I don't think people 
really understand uh, what I'm saying. Like, they, it doesn't click for them that, like, I'm having certain uh, challenges or uh, there's concerns that I care about that I think we should discuss as a faculty or whatever. And, and this is the year, and it's unfortunate that there had to be, um, because of George Floyd, um, somebody, you know, and this George Floyd is not the first person to die. There's many people that have died, but because of George Floyd and the, um, the protests that have happened, my school, they started out with have hosting a, like a prayer service. And so I spoke at that and I, I've spoken at my school many times before, but I, I, I felt more listened to that time. Um, than in the past. And so that felt good that maybe somebody cared what I had to say. And then my school made an initiative to like also listen, host some listening sessions. And then um, for, for students of uh, color, parents of color, and then also, well, specifically black parents. And then they also um, hosted some sessions for parents um, for all parents about how to talk to your students about race. And then they're going to continue with having community sessions to help people uh, deal with issues of race. And they've made a commitment to move towards being anti-racist. And that's a, it's a big deal. Uh, and so the idea that now um, when I share an article about equity and inclusion, maybe someone has a reason to like want to listen to that article because now from the top, you know, from the people from the top up, from the president and the, you know, uh, the Jesuits West province is saying that we need to deal with these issues. Well, maybe now these conversations are going to be happening. So all the teachers at my school have been reading about um, race on, we have these like different cohorts that we're, we're having on Canvas. And um, so people are reading things that I think maybe they haven't read before in the past and they're engaging in discussions. And we're talking about like how we can bring um, how these discussions can change our classroom. And I'm extremely hopeful that um, this will be the year that we don't, we won't just say that we care about diversity and inclusion. We're going to show that we care about it. And so my fingers are crossed and, um, you know, I'm ready to do the work. Yeah. It sounds like you have colleagues who are finally ready to do the work too. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone I think is um, willing to put the, the effort out. Yes, for sure. Yeah. I think it's, I think those are conversations we, we lamented earlier about all of the um, unanticipated work of teachers, you know, like the active shooter drills and, you know, suicide prevention and trauma teaching and stuff like that. And I, I know that from my school, we, we've had some, uh, books, some book groups and some anti-racist discussions early on. And I would say that um, I have been buoyed by the staying power. I, I thought I was quite, I questioned how much people would be doing it at the end of the summer. Um, I think that, you know, there was both a sense of wanting to get community and the currency of talking about those things in June, but would people show up to the groups in August? And I was pleased to see that in my, on my campus, a number of adults attended meetings also at the end of the summer, which gives me hope that some of those same discussions are going to be meaningfully carried through as we move into the school year. So, yeah, um, very much. Uh, I appreciate the fact that your, your voice is being heard. 
Uh, all right. Well, I'm going to throw my two cents in, in terms of, for me, uh, the, the, the thing that I'm talking about looking forward to is um, I have been on the pointless grading journey uh, of Paul Strode, friend of the show, Paul Strode, for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul, who I harass by text all the time. Paul, can you explain <laughs> to me what this means? What What do you mean by this? Um, uh, so I had Paul on like in my early, very early episodes back around when I had Leon first time. Um, and uh, he talked to me about that. I'll be honest, I had no idea what he was talking about. What do you mean pointless grades? That sort of thing. Uh, but last year, uh, myself and my colleague in AP adopted a pointless grading system in our AP lab. Um, last year, we had a weird experiment where we disaggregated AP lab from the class. So they were two separate classes. Um, and we ran the lab as a like a half of a class, if you will, um, that was separate. So I had students in lab that weren't actually in my AP class. They had my colleague for class and it was weird. Um, and we decided about halfway through the year that it was dumb. And so <laughs> we, 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 we reconnected them for this year or we had planned to reconnect them. And that, so now their kids are going to be scheduled in the same lab as they are in class, which will make our lives much easier. Um, it was, you know, a failed experiment last year, but, um, as part of going into this year, my, my wonderful colleague, Brian, and who I always talk about, we had talked a little bit about what it would look like when we bring those classes back together. And we wrote out a note and I had written down on a piece of paper, I got some sticky note somewhere that has like some sort of percentages about what various things were. And we got together at the beginning of the summer and I was like, do any of these numbers make any sense? Are we even going to be doing some of these things that we said are going to make up 20% of our grade or whatever in whatever format? He's like, no. And I was like, well, what if we were just to go to a, like we buy in and we experiment and we say like, what does it look like? to go pointless. And I think for AP biology, we are going to go to a portfolio based pointless grade system where students will still take tests. And, and it's not that they're not going to have homework and it's not that they're not going to have classwork, but as Paul likes to say, students are just going to do work. And then they're going to use those pieces of work as evidence for the good work that they have been doing. And at the end of the quarter, they're going to look at this, the reflections that they've been continuing to make and the collection of work that they've been doing and the feedback that I've been giving and the discussions that we've been having and decide where their grade fits based off of that journey. Um, so we are going, we're buying into that. I'm still in the process and um, also um, uh, the book Pointless uh, by Sarah mm-hmm. Zerwin, um, who is happens to be Paul's wife. And when I read that, I realized why Paul had learned all of his things, because he has been stealing from his English teacher wife for years without letting us know. Um, but uh, but the the combination of those two resources, um, the the work that Paul's posted up on his blog and, and Sarah's book um, have really been inspiring to me. And I'm really looking forward to uh, really making... Um, the class be all about the work and not about the grades because I don't know what kind of graded work they're going to be doing and what that graded work is going to look like. But I do know what science practices and learning objectives I want them to do. I just don't know what the products are going to look like or the process is going to look like. So I wanted something that would be really open that gives freedom for students to evaluate where they are in both product and process and maybe they're getting more out of it than I will be able to structure going in but they'll be able to use the reflection and tell me what they've learned and through meaningful reflection and discussion we'll be able to get them where they want to be at the end of the year it almost sounds like modeling instruction yeah Mm -hmm. I know 
<laughs> I can't tell you, today every time every today every time you post something about your your modeling workshops, I'm like, oh, maybe this is the one I'll take. No, it's not the one I'm going to take. But like one of these weeks, I'm just going to show. I almost did it this summer, but I was I was so fried <laughs> at the end of June. <laughs> I was like really close to signing up to for your your summer one this summer, but I was like so mentally burned out. Especially, particularly after the AP read this year, um, I I was just oh, like I can imagine. I was like I got done the AP read and I just like I just crashed so hard that I was like I cannot sign up for any PD in the next month. Like I just I need to take some downtime. So um, it, it's not it's not it's more for like the more more for my honors bio class. Uh, yeah, I haven't like co- like figured out with my schedule at school how to make it work for AP Bio 100%, but I try to use it, those techniques for modeling in my AP Bio class. You guys are just, all of you guys are, I hope you know this, you are totally inspiring me. Like, I'm like, I'm going to I'm gonna read that book, and I'm going to go grade list two, and then I'm going to take it to everyone in my department. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's sort of your your discussion of the 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 modeling is both my excitement and my dilemma because I 100% would do it in my honors, but but as of right now, I am well. I shouldn't say this. I don't know how many people are teaching honors bio this year, <laughs> um, and I don't know what format they're going to be. Um, right. So, but it's at least a couple of other colleagues that I need to bring along. So whatever PD I do. I have to bring it back and be able to translate it to my colleagues who are not doing that PD. And that's always like a dilemma. And I'm like super excited about it. And I think I can get myself excited to do it. But the number of people I need to bring it back to and then translate. And then that I think that was where my that was my overwhelming. That was the point at which I got overwhelmed this summer. And I was like, yeah, maybe I could do this. But I don't know how I'm going to translate it back to the four other people to (laughs) to inform their instruction for next year. Um, And I didn't want to overwhelm other people as well. So, yeah, there's that. But I will also say that um, in sort of building off of what we talked about last time about having things that are like things that are our distractions that are sort of our healthy distractions to get away from school. Um, I have started to uh, to refurbish a antique icebox um, in wow. my garage, stripped and antique like that. Uh, we got it from uh, a an elderly relative of my wife uh, like three years ago uh, when we were cleaning out her uh her stores of old furniture and stuff like that. And she took it and she's like, I love this piece of furniture. This would be awesome if it got refurnished and refurbished. And she put it on my side of the garage. Right. So I've been parking right, right up next to it for like three years now. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I, I have stripped the hardware off and I've started to strip all the paint off. I'm learning how to strip and refurbish it. I bought new casters for it. I am, um, I've cleaned all the hardware. And so that's like going to be like my Saturday project this year. So in addition to not, to me not having my school things that I'm looking forward to, I am, mm-hmm. I've literally designed a project that's going to take me months and I don't really <laughs> know how to do it, but I, at the end, I will have a tangible product and I don't know a better allegory for teaching this year mm-hmm. than this is something that I'm aspirational for. I'm pretty sure I have the skill to do it. I really don't know how to do this. I'm going to have to figure a lot of things out on the way. And at the end, there's going to be a product and it will be as pretty as it is. And it will be a hell of a lot better than it was when I started. Um, (laughs) And hopefully it's going to be something that is going to be like show worthy at the end. That's sort of the model I'm building towards. That's awesome though, because, you know, as I was sitting here listening to all of you, I'm like, you know what? I need to think about the things that I'm actually excited for that are not school related because otherwise I sound so one dimensional. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, you know, if I'm I'm going to be excited about something that's not school related, like 
every week I've, I've tried to challenge myself by cooking something new or baking something new because I love to cook. And I've discovered in, you know, when we were actually quarantined that I actually do enjoy baking. Like I used to say before that I hated it because it was such a precise, like it had to be so precise, right? Like you can't, it's not like cooking where if you screw something up as you go along, you can kind of fix it as you go along. Whereas with baking, nah, man, if you screw it up, you've screwed the whole thing up and you've got to start all over again. And so I've like today I I took some, we bought these cookies that are, um, so it's hatch chili season, right? And around here, all the grocery stores do like these crazy hatch chili festivals and whatnot and sell everything under the sun that is flavored hatch chili. So there's a local bakery that makes these, these cookies called hatch chili red hots. And they are the sweet cinnamony chili flavored cookie. And, and yeah, and they are so good. And so I was eating some the other day and I was like, you know, this might make a really amazing pie crust. <laughs> and so my husband and I are sitting there munching on these cookies and he's like, yeah, it would. And I was like, and the filling should be chocolate. And so I was like, that's it. I'm going to buy some more of these cookies and I'm going to make a chocolate cream pie with these with this cookie as the pie crust. So that pie crust has been cooling on my dining room table now and the pudding filling is in the fridge and I'm about to go put it together here in just a little bit. And so I'll have to report back on the next show, like how it turned out, or you can just find it on my Twitter feed, (laughs) (laughs) how it turned out. But I've actually learned that I actually really do like to bake. And so I'm looking forward to trying new, trying to bake new things in the kitchen and and cook new things in the kitchen. So next weekend's project is to make the um, famous Levan chocolate chip cookies from the Levan bakery in New York. Yes, wow. I found a recipe and I'm um, and and I told my husband, I was like, look, we've eaten this cookie. He's like, oh my God, yes, we did. <laughs> and I said, I'm gonna make this cookie. He's like, oh. And one of my husband's favorite foods is chocolate chip cookies. So this will also ensure that I stay married for 15, at least 15 more years. Because my anniversary <laughs> is coming up. So, <laughs> so there you go. I'm looking forward to that too. <laughs> All right. Well. Uh, any, anything else that we need to throw in? I think we've had, uh, now two successful, uh, we've kicked off our, our, our new format. We have, I don't know if everybody's got a good, uh, non teaching distraction to work on. I don't know if Ryan, if you've, or today you figured out, uh, your I own. don't have a healthy life. No, <laughs> I'm doing graduate school. Um, I, I'm doing webinars and stuff with STEM teachers, Phoenix and AMTA. So, you know, I mean, if I get to like, go walk with my dog and dance in my living room with my kids or maybe play a video game. I don't like video games very much, but you know, watch a movie with my kids. I'm doing good. So hmm. my sister will cook for me. Hey, yeah. Ryan, you got anything? Um, I <laughs> got bored and downloaded Rosetta stone and oh. paid for a lifetime. Oh, cool. membership, so now oh wow. Teaching myself some Tagalog, which is the language of the Philippines. Yeah. And I think I'm going to do Spanish next. Well, we'll see. Now that school started, I don't know how how much time I'll actually have. Wow. Yeah, that's, I, Tanae and I talked a little bit about that when she interviewed me about language and. (laughs) Yeah, my Chinese hasn't gotten any better, guys. Sorry. (laughs) Well, the other thing I was going to say, we talked about uh, today, we, we were talking about music and I will say that this summer has definitely been like, I, I have, I have been diving back into some, some music, musical styles I haven't listened to nearly as much. Um, but, uh, 
yeah i I, i've been loving uh, i don't know if you know duckworth his song crush was like was like my like that was like my happy music like if i needed to listen to a two-minute happy song uh during quarantine i would always throw on his 2019 song crush Uh, i'm gonna look it up and it's just like i know it this is like this little happy kind of thing. Well, he, anyway, he just released a, he just just released his first major label album at the end of August uh, here. And, you know, it's, he's still a young artist and there's some, there's some up and down stuff, but I got to tell you, there's a couple songs on there that are going to think it's going to be sort of, I'm going to have to make my sort of happy, like windows down, drive out of school music, which I tend to have. Um, there's yes. a lot of good, a lot of good angry music. You're like, I can listen to Anderson Puck, uh, <laughs> Puck, uh lockdown or, uh, run the jewel four on if I want to get yes. angry. But yes. I, I've been loving I've been loving our uh, RTJ four, but Duckworth's kind of like happy. So uh, so I've been trying to th- find like distra- happy distractions as best I can. Um. <laughs> so you guys will make a rap song with me then, because you know I, I do that on the side too. I make little rap songs that I normally I I rap in front of my class at the beginning of the school year, but obviously I didn't do it. I just posted the video for them this time. But we should make a rap song together. I can I can definitely uh, I can definitely find you the beats and I can uh, DJ and I can do that. I don't think anybody wants to hear me rap. Um, <laughs> 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 I say Go that ahead. jealously, but I I don't think I uh, you know maybe well, that's your, that, maybe your that's students a, would love it. That maybe that's a gro- maybe that's a growth goal for me is to find my uh, to find my flow. But I I don't I, I do not have flow. <laughs> <laughs> But if you can bring you can bring out my inner Jay Z, I'll be I'll be I'm forever grateful. Okay, I'll work on the lyrics, guys. Yeah. Yes. You you could put anything, pick anything off the Black album from Jay Z, and uh, I'd uh-huh. like uh, I will dedicate myself to figuring out how to do it. Okay, I'm gonna look for a song. Are you not entertained? Um, <laughs> all right. Well, we have now officially gone off the rails, as I had promised. We were gonna do for that. So. Uh, I am going to, I'm going to put a wrap on episode 103. Hey, we would love your feedback and uh, we plan on October. Uh, we're going to put out two episodes in October and I would love to uh, hear feedback. So, it, you know, if you want to share your fears about the upcoming school year, if you're thinking about things that you're excited about, uh, about the upcoming school year, um, I already got uh, uh, John Darko, uh, my friend from Ohio, was super excited about our new format of the podcast. So that's Yay. already one thing that was, uh, th- that he messaged about that he's excited about. So um, I, I love to hear what people are, are you know, it's a safe space to talk about fears and uh, things that we're excited about. So please share w- with me at Life of the School. Uh, you can tweet at me. You can DM me. You could also uh, send messages to me uh, at Mr. Matthew Tweets. I'm happy to hear anybody and uh, I will uh, collate those and we'll, we'll maybe find a way of sharing those in our, in our October episodes. All right. Well, thanks for joining me and I will talk to everybody soon. I guess we will talk to everybody soon. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Looking Bye. forward to it.